We hope this explanation of God's Word enriches your life. To help you understand the audience for this talk, we suggest you read the context material on the About Us page. Please read also our copyright page before recording or reproducing any material from philipjensen.com. The following sermon was given at St. Matthias Family Church, where Philip Jensen was senior minister. On five occasions in the epistles of Paul to Timothy and Titus, we find the little phrase... Here is a trustworthy saying, or here is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. On four such occasions, it is dealing with a matter that is obviously of enormous importance. Heaven and hell kind of issues, God's salvation and the death of Jesus. But here in chapter 3 verse 1, he uses the same introductory phrase for a subject that we would think of not nearly the same significance and importance. For it is of great importance, he would think, that we understand that anyone who desires the task of being an overseer desires a good work. This is not a bad or an undesirable thing to be a leader, to be a foreman, to be an overseer, and so setting your heart on such a thing is also not a bad thing, but indeed good. Verse 1 seems very strange to our piety. When it comes to thinking about going into ministry of any type, our party has taught us that we should wait until we get a call from God. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible sees that there is a desire to take on this kind of work and that desire is a good thing. Indeed, I cannot find it in the Bible where we must wait for a call at all. It is right for a person to want to do this task which is a right and proper task. But what is the task that he has in mind here? He calls it an overseer or a foreman. The old translation of this word was the word bishop. But that is wholly misleading today because the word bishop today is a specifically religious word and there is a specific task that certain people do who call themselves bishops or other people call them bishops or everybody calls them bishops. But that is not the kind of person that is here in chapter 3, verse 1 of Timothy. Indeed, between you and me, folks, that kind of person you don't find anywhere in the New Testament. They didn't exist back in Paul's day. What is being spoken of here is an overseer, is a foreman. The word is used interchangeably with the word elder in the New Testament. The elder of the congregation the foreman of the church, the manager of the church, the supervisor of the church. The word elder is the one that I'm most familiar with and I guess I'll use that more commonly than any other one. But it's it's the kind of word like foreman which we have as an everyday normal word. It's a particular function and task. It's not a particularly high status or important status. It's just a function that certain people do managing the affairs in leadership in the work. Now, when we first read this passage, we're tempted to say, well, what's it got to do with me? I'm not an elder, nor am I likely to become one. So this section seems to be irrelevant except to a few people. But that's not so. It's very relevant at many points to us. Here is a pattern for godliness that Paul wishes to give to the congregation. 
Secondly, here is a pattern for Christian leadership, not just in terms of the elder in the church, but in terms of those who wish to manage their household. In other words, it's a, it's a pattern for the Christian father and husband. It's a pattern for those who would take leadership in Bible study or youth fellowship or Sunday school. Wherever indeed you wish to exercise Christian leadership, here is the pattern that Paul would teach us that we should adopt. Furthermore, this is a pattern for us when it comes to choosing elders within a congregation. On what basis should we make such choices? What kind of person are we looking for? And to that end, it's a pattern for us when we pray for our elders. People wish to pray for those who are in Christian leadership. What is it that you should be praying for them in their leadership? Well, these are the very things to pray for. For these are the things that they must need to exercise their leadership. Another application of the passage has got to do with the particular role of our congregation in encouraging men and women to enter into Christian leadership. Which people should we be encouraging to go into eldership? What are the characteristics we should be looking for in the young men of our congregation as we encourage them to take up the task of overseer, of foreman within a congregation? Here, this passage gives us direction as to making that kind of choice. So while it is directed specifically to Timothy about the appointment of overseers, yet it has implications that go way beyond Timothy and that original set of overseers into all manner of life for us. The first thing to notice about the passage is that it's a long list of what I have called in the outline there Christian characteristics. Most of them, there is nothing uniquely eldership about them. They are true of every Christian. All Christians should be like this. For a couple of them, there is a specific reason that relates directly to being an elder. But for most of them, it is just common Christian graces that are called upon. As there are 13 of them, we're not going to go through each one of them in detail. I'll just put that at your mind at rest now at this stage, lest you think we're here for the, uh, the duration of the reign. Firstly, the man is to be above reproach. He is to have an un, unimpeachable uh, character and reputation. There is to be nothing that is known of him that to which we could allow some accusation of immorality. Secondly, he is to be the husband of one wife. It is a funny phrase. In our translation in the New International Version, the little word but has been added in to try and emphasise only one. Only one as opposed to what? Now, some people have taken this in many different ways. Some have said that uh, widowers are never to, never to become, are never to remarry, and here is an example of it. I think that's nonsense, but that was a view that was common. For many years, I have taken it that he's writing against polygamy. The Bible hardly ever speaks against polygamy, but within the Christian eldership, monogamy is to be the pattern that is to be reinforced. But I don't think that's the truth anymore either, now that I've looked elsewhere. Rather, in chapter 5, we find that the widow in verse 9, who is to be put on the list, is one who has only had one husband. 
Well, all widows have to have a husband previously. That's one of the prerequisites of being a widow. You must have had a husband sometime. So what does it mean that she's only had one? It can't be against polyandry, which wasn't practiced in the Middle East, in the, in the, uh, in the Greek or in the Jewish community. And so the, the same phrase is used of the widow as is used of the elder. And therefore I take it's got to do with the faithfulness to their one wife. That is, they must be faithful in marriage. They mustn't be divorcees who are remarried. They must be people who have only had the one marriage or indeed if it's a second marriage it's because the previous uh, spouse has died. And so it's got to do with the faithfulness in marriage that Paul is commending. The elder's marital status, as with his family life, later on we'll see, is to be the model for the congregation. And therefore he is to be faithfully married. All the more so because the congregation is the family of God. And the patterns of family life in the congregation should teach the families how to live and the patterns of family life in the families should be reinforced back in the congregation. And therefore it is important in leadership that the leader be faithfully married. The next three things in verse 2 you'll see are very similar ideas. He is to be temperate, self-controlled and respectable. That is, he's not to be careless or thoughtless He's not to be a wild and erratic person, but sober, prudent and honourable, dignified. It's easy for a congregation to be conned by a charismatic person, by someone with a winsome smile who, who captures the imagination, but who is not a man of soberness, of sobriety, of prudence, of honour, of dignity and respectability. We as congregations quite often look for the wrong thing. We're impressed by the fact that he can preach to millions. We're impressed by the fact that he has a magnificent singing voice or a beautiful set of teeth without one denture, without uh, any fillings anywhere that can be seen. We're impressed by a whole range of things about people. But that is not the types of things we're to be impressed about. Rather, being sober, temperate, self-controlled, that is the exercise in godliness that is important to create in our leadership for it is important to create in our membership. The last thing in verse 2 that's listed there is that he is to be hospitable. Again, it's a characteristic of all Christians that we are to be hospitable because our God is a hospitable God. It's funny to think of God as a hospitable God but that is his character. He welcomes people into his family. He wants people to come in and be at home with him. He goes to great lengths that we might become his children. He invites and welcomes people in and so Christians must be like God. We must be welcoming to people into our own homes. We must be welcoming to people into this home, into this family, that all people, whoever they be, from the tiny tots to the very elderly, from those who are lame to those who are healthy to those with high education and those with no education, that we are welcoming in of people must be the characteristic of God's people because it's the very characteristic of God himself. And so the elder must be a man noted and marked in hospitality, that he welcomes people in, not just hospitality into his home, although that will be part of it, but that he is a hospitable person one who is eager and happy to have people come in to fellowship with him and he with they.
Verse 3 combines four negatives. Must not be given to much wine, must not be violent but gentle, must not be quarrelsome and must not be a lover of money. Heavy drinking, violent behaviour, quarrelsomeness and covetousness must never be characteristics of Christian people. Christians mustn't be like this, nor should their leaders be like this. For if you or I have got a short fuse, or we love drinking, or we have a love of what is so elegantly put, the finer things of life, then we need to work in changing in these areas of life. Whoever we be as Christian, we need to learn to change those. For covetousness is idolatry. For drunkenness is the work of the flesh. For the anger of men never does the righteousness of God. They are matters for each one of us that we must work at in changing under the work of God's spirit in our life. But if those things are wrong of the Christian person, then they should not be seen in the leader of Christian people. They should not be seen in the elder of the congregation. But rather, such a person must not be chosen who has those qualities unless he has been able to bring them into change in his life, unless he has actually been able to move from violence to gentleness and to curb his appetites for the things of this world. Again in verse 5, we read, sorry, again in verse 4, we read, of a characteristic that's true of all Christians, that a man should be able to manage his own household, that his children should respect and honour their parents, and therefore it is important for the fathers to know how to gain the respect of their children. So the man who is to be the elder must be a man who, can, who is able to manage his own family. But verse 5 takes the point one step further. For verse 5 says that unless he can manage his own household, how will he be able to manage the household of God? Unless he can manage his own family, how will he be able to care for God's family? It's a very telling point in verse 5, for many things flow from it. The nature of eldership and ministry, the nature of the church, the importance of faithfulness, all are shown in that little verse. For what is the eldership and the ministry, the oversight, the foreman? He is one who cares for the family of God. As a father, a husband cares for his family, so must the leader and elder care for the family of God. One of the lovely words that is used in the New Testament of such a person, and in the old indeed, is the word shepherd. The shepherd is one who cares for the flock. He may give leadership, but he doesn't lead the sheep with exercise of power and tyranny. He doesn't lead the sheep for his own particular advantage, but caring for them. The care of the family is the role of managing the household. It also speaks more of the, of the nature of the church that this congregation is God's family. For all who have the Holy Spirit within them call God their Father. And as we call God our Father, so we call our fellow believers brother and sister. It was a strange thing in the ancient world 
For people were not called brother and sister, except your real brother and sister. But yet, within Christianity, a sudden shift took place and strangers started calling each other brother and sister because they had the common father and met together in a family regularly. This is a family and that must be the character of our congregation to be a family together. It's important to see from verse 5 that the man who is faithful over small matters is the man to be entrusted with larger matters. That if a man cannot manage his own small context, he is not to be placed in the context of a larger care and commitment. Some people whose children in trying out their wings during teenage years have run into difficulty find verse 5 very difficult and threatening and the rest of us must beware of legalistic judgmentalism especially over clergy kids we actually have to allow the families to grow up and growing up for all of us was a painful experience and for our children will be a painful experience a very pleasurable one too let us not only put it in the negative terms it was great fun and it will be great fun, but if you're like me, you're glad you're past it, just as much as I enjoy the memories of it. It's not always easy, and we mustn't be too quick to judge our fellow elders in, in Christian congregation because their teenage children are but trying out their wings and have fallen flat in their face a few times. That's part of the process, isn't it? But if somebody's household is in a chaotic mess, we must not add to that mess by giving them Christian responsibility. That's no help to them. It's no help to their families. Nor will it do to place the church of God, the family of God, in the hands of a mismanager. That cannot be helpful either to them or to God's people. In the twelfth of these uh, instructions, the not recent convert one, Again, the reason and application has particular application to elders. He mustn't be a recent convert because we wish to protect the elder. It's not good for a man who is a recent convert to become into leadership for leadership has its own temptations. A recent convert may be ill-equipped to cope with the temptations that come through the job that has been given to him. When will God's people learn about this instruction in verse 6? For if ever there is a thing that churches muck up, it's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. We will not take the word of God seriously at this point for some strange and perverse reason. We must let people grow up in the faith of Jesus Christ first. Let them develop their own confidence in Christ before we place upon them leadership and responsibility. How often we have seen in churches that people have arrived from outside, have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and because they're good at doing things, they're good organisers, they've got charisma in their character, they've, they've got the ability to win other people over to things, because they've got certain attributes that we like and aspire to in this worldly sense, 
We push them into responsibility. We get them to run the boys' club or the Sunday school, get them onto the parish council, all kinds of things we get them onto as quickly as we can because they're good at doing it, though it is to their destruction for they often cannot cope with the responsibilities that are given to them and fall prey to the evil one and the pride that comes to them. It wasn't to a recent convert, but one of the more humorous anecdotes of John Chapman's life, which illustrates the hopelessness of the church in this regard, occurs when he went teaching in his first job up in the country. I think it was at Manila, but I can't remember, so don't hold Manila responsible. Anyone come from Manila? Um, We'll call it Manila then, yes, that's a good place. He says he arrived and on the first Sunday night he'd had his back pay from the last three months because he'd only just been appointed as a teacher and got paid from about December or something like that. And when he arrived there he was under the principle of the law in those days, which he's no longer under, of giving a tenth of all his salary away. And so that Sunday night he dropped a tenth of three months' salary into the plate. After church that night He was elected to the parish council, appointed as the Sunday school superintendent and called upon to organise the choir. (laughs) He said the organ stops were not the only things pulled out that night. The sidesmen, as they collected the offertory, had eyes just like organ stops right out (laughs) into the plate. There is a classic illustration of the hopelessness of church, isn't it? Here is somebody, let's get him involved in doing a job. We must not do that. And we, in this church, face with a great problem. A great problem of many people who are young in the faith of Jesus Christ, but who, in this world's terms, are inordinately gifted. And the great temptation, because we have tremendous needs for more Christian leadership, the great temptation is to get people who are inordinately gifted and put them into leadership, though they are yet babes in Christ. And we must withstand that temptation. God will provide for us sufficient leaders for the tasks at hand. Our responsibility is to care for the sheep and when they're lambs, it is no help to ask them to lead the flock. We must wait. Finally, the elder must be of good repute for the devil always accuses and gossip and slander are normal. If the elder's reputation has been tainted, then the finger of the accusation will destroy him. And therefore, it's not just sufficient that good be done, but that good must also be seen to be done, so that the devil cannot have victory over us through the the, uh, bad repute of an elder. Now, the long list of characteristics is very important. It's important for elders, it's important for us. Yet one item on the list in the text is not common Christian characteristic, but a specific gift that the elder must have in order to exercise his authority, in order to manage his household. It's verse 2. He must be able to teach. That is because teaching is the key method of ruling the household of God, of managing, caring, ministering and serving the household of God. The role therefore of the elder is the role of being a teacher. The manager in God's household will be the teacher in God's household. 
gift of teaching, I presume you can't get it from the text, requires knowledge and understanding because you can't teach what you do not know. It requires the ability to express oneself and to explain ideas to people that they will understand and involves the opportunity to prepare and to think and to learn in order that one may continue to teach. The one gift of the elder is teaching but that one gift is set in amongst 13 characteristics most of which are just common to all Christians. This then is a key gift in an elder. It is the key gift of the eldership but it must be exercised within the context of Christian characteristics or the teaching by his words will be contradicted by his life. His life must back up his message. Well then what should we be looking for from, from our elders? A model of Christian living and the sound teaching of God's word. That is what we must be looking for. This passage occurs within the section of the epistle which deals with conduct in God's household. The church of the living God as it's called in chapter 3 verse 15. But what is the church? The word church means a gathering. It doesn't mean a building of course because you can have a church anywhere even in households, in lounge rooms. The church is a gathering of people. The gathering together of God's people is the church of God is the household of God, is the family of God. This is not just any gathering. This is God's gathering. This is not any group of people. This is a family of people. Whose family? But God's family. Now we must learn to treat each other as family. We must learn to treat each other as family, as God's family. And our eldership must exercise itself in the way in which eldership and leadership does in the family, especially remembering that it's not just any family but God's. It is very important, therefore, that we have leaders who will truly care for the family of God and who will truly exemplify the family characteristics and who will truly teach those characteristics to the household of God. Therefore in our choosing of elders we must act wisely. In our caring for elders, our praying for elders, we must act in accordance with this passage. And when we come to encouraging those who desire to be overseers, we must seek out these godly characteristics in them and encourage them in these areas as the key ones to conducting a ministry that will be to the praise of God and to the care of his people. But we can go even one step further. For if we are carefully selecting and encouraging leaders in this pattern of godliness, then it must be because we want to follow this pattern of godliness. As we cannot want to have leaders who are like this and not want to be led to become like this. This then becomes a pattern for our godliness, for
for our household, for our family that is God's family. And for each one of us, therefore, we must seek to be above reproach. We must seek to be faithful in our marriage. We must seek to be people who are temperate, sober, self-controlled people, not given to anger and, 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 and wild emotions, respectable, dignified. We must be hospitable, welcoming people. We mustn't be given to too much wine, nor be men and women of violence. We've got to be gentle people, as our Lord and, our Lord and Saviour was a gentle person. We mustn't be quarrelsome, nor lovers of money. We must be able to look after our own families, and we must be of good repute in the, in the society around about us. Here is the characteristic of God's family. We impose it by selecting leadership that embodies it and exemplifies it. But we can also impose it by seeking to put it into practice in our own lives. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great example of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. We do pray, Father, that you would give to us such leaders that they might lead us in the way of godliness by what they teach and by how they live. We pray, Father, that you would continue to raise up those leaders from amongst us, not only for our own congregation here, but for elsewhere in this city and in this world. We pray, Father, that we might encourage each other in such godliness, that we may truly take Christian leadership. We do thank you, Father, for the way in which you have so kindly guided us and generously given to us. We pray that you would help us to pray for those who are in leadership over us, that they might always act in godliness in the way in which they conduct their ministries. And we also pray for our family, Father, that you would help us to become more like you, that you would help us, Father, each one and as a group, to live in this pattern to the glory of your name. And we pray it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the talks on philipjensen.com. Please check our copyright page before recording or reproducing any material on philipjensen.com.